Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Out of Curiosity, where we are seeking modern clarity. <laughs> yep, yep. We want some modern uh, clarity to look back on the Bible through the lens of the hoping, modern perspective. We're hoping to redefine the Bible <laughs> yeah. through modern biblical categories. Truth in light of modern categories. Or, or it could be that we want biblical clarity for modern questions. Again, uh, <laughs> It's just like seven words, but it continues yep. to be yep. a fun exercise for you. Uh, you're a very smart person with a with a advanced degrees. <laughs> this short, <laughs> small little thing has been so difficult for you. I thought you were going to say with a short, small little brain. <laughs> it's a small brain. It doesn't help that every time I mock you going into it, and then uh, by the time we're rolling, it really puts the pressure on, and then you have a complete mental frozenness state true. in that exact moment. So, yeah, I, I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can. The day that you have it smooth, I'm going to be disappointed in myself. I'll consider myself having failed uh, when we, that happens. So, If we keep this right now, which I'm not sure if we will, in the podcast, uh, it's going to prompt. Because I don't think it's that bad. I think you guys give me a bad rap. But this will certainly prompt everyone to go back oh, and no. listen to my other intros. No, we're definitely keeping this. And uh, I'm Garland, by the way. And I'm talking to my friend Cameron. Hello. Who's smarter than he seems. Yes. Uh, so so get us rolling here. Okay. Well, we do have another modern question after all of that uh, that we hope to find some uh, some biblical clarity for, which is the question of what in the world is going on with Cain's wife in the Bible? Where did she come from? Uh, if you've spent much time in, in the early chapters of Genesis, uh, specifically chapter four, you may have had this question. Okay, you've got Adam and Eve. You've got the story of the fall. You've got their banishment from the garden. Uh, you've got them having children, and then those children having children together. And you begin to go, oh, my goodness, like, where are these other people coming for that don't seem to be named explicitly in the narrative, and so on and so forth. I'm guessing if you've read Genesis 1 through 4, you have at least done a short, you know, double take, like, now wait, now wait a second. I, it seems like there's more context that's right. needed for this. So, right. Um, maybe first, Garland, why, why even bother with this question? Is this just too, like, weird and esoteric to even spend time with? <laughs> no. No, I think it's a – well, first of all, I, just, I do want to acknowledge it's kind of a – it's kind of a fun question. Like it's it's uh, at first blush, it's one of those questions that seems to have, um, you know, the stakes seem to be kind of low on this one. It's you know, Cain's wife. We can answer that. You know, uh, I've, I've heard this question both from, you know, Christians reading their Bibles, and then it tends to be one of those when, you know, you're talking with somebody who maybe is skeptical or, uh, you know, a, a naturalist or atheist. They come to the table and they say, like, "Oh yeah, yeah. Well, what about Cain's wife? Where did she come from?" Um, and so, in that sense, it can be uh, maybe a little bit more dramatic, but the reason the question actually is important um, is this question, it, it actually draws out, this is why we're going to answer it, it draws out um, some implications as to uh, the nature of uh, the the creation and the establishment of Homo sapiens, human beings, in the world, it 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 does actually press into our anthropology and so our study of humanity and who we are, where we come from, and so uh, we're going to kind of you know wade through it, and I think um, at least let people see um, that yes, it's kind of a fun way to start the question, but it then it then touches back on some really important things um, that I think are are as significant kinds of questions as anything we talk about on this podcast. I know talking about the origins of humanity, evolution, short, you know, young earth, these kinds of questions may not 
in an everyday sense be something that we're thinking about, but you said it when we talked about the uh, you know the, hist- the age of the earth, how old is the earth, and do Christians have to believe the earth is 6,000 years? Like, we're talking about some of the most fundamental existential questions of life. Like, yeah. who are we, and what makes us human, and is there something different about us than the animals, and all that stuff's really important. So in light of that, I do think this becomes a little bit less, you know, kind of silly and fun. And now we got into some real significant anthropology questions. So, yeah, I think it's important both for believers and non. And if there's not a serious, you know, well-reasoned answer to this, it just is another sort of chink in the armor of uh, biblical authority. Like, man, if, if if there's no reasonable way to that Cain could have gotten his wife, gotten a wife, right? Um, then, gosh, what, why should I even pay attention to these stories to begin with. Um, right. Yeah. Right. right out of the gate as you're encountering yeah. the scriptures. Yeah. I think uh, it becomes more problematic, obviously. Like I-, I took biological anthropology classes in college and then, you know, uh, my my kids and I were watching this show. I can't remember which streaming channel it's on, uh, but it was called The Life of Earth. And they were presenting, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just, and it was, it was really well done. The graphics were, usually those shows have pretty bad graphics. These are pretty good. The storytelling was really captivating. My kids were actually watching it. Um, <laughs> and it was talking about the earth as, you know, billions of years old. They were talking about how Homo sapiens arose. And, you know, I think a lot of uh, maybe Christian listeners to this may go, oh, you know, oh, no, do I need to turn this off? Is this something I shouldn't let my kids watch? Is that how we're supposed to think about it? Um, and I think in that sense, it can become a really significant question uh, for us. And I think what what makes it especially problematic is on shows like that, biological anthropology class, it seems to be a general consensus, at least in the scientific community as of right now. Now, this is 2023. We're recording this. This is changing all the time. But um, it seems to be the general consensus that there was not a time when the Homo sapien population uh, dipped below maybe a few uh, hundreds, if not probably a few thousands. And so when you read the Genesis account, um, it could seem to indicate that we've got a very dramatically small population of human beings. And it forces us to wrestle with that question. Are we credible to modern science? Is the Bible in contradiction? Do we have to discredit the science? How does that work? And I think if you now, if you're both a skeptic coming into this or a Christian coming into this now, I think you can see where, why this is important and what, what all it touches on, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. So Absolutely. yeah, a couple of caveats just uh, just before we dive in. We're not going to cover everything. Like we're going to leave some stuff out. Obviously, we may come back and do other episodes. You can send us something on our Instagram, uh, OOCuriosities. If you have some questions and follow-ups, just send them in our way and let us know. Um, the second kind of thing that we're going to have to wrestle through is what about evolution? What do we do with the modern evolutionary accounts of human origins? And I think this bothers many Christians, especially where I live, uh, down here in the South. I think it's one of those things that people really get uh, frustrated about, especially if it's taught in schools, public schools, things like that. Um, And the the last thing is this. um, we, We might say that while this is a question about anthropology driving, you know, coming out of the book of Genesis, it's not in a vacuum in that sense. It actually touches on some other parts of the Bible, notably some statements that are made in the New Testament. So there's one that the apostle Paul makes as he gives a, he kind of gives almost like a defense. We might call it like a, a sermon or some kind of defense. He's presenting to the, the gathered community in Athens, and he makes a, a strong affirmation that humanity derives its origin from one pair, and Jesus will make similar statements. We see Paul seemingly in Romans 5 at least connecting something about sin 
to this original pair. And so for a lot of theologians and scholars, um, now the stakes go really high. To mess with the origins of humanity, to mess with Adam and Eve, to mess with their historicity, would then to be to mess with the gospel to them, to say that the gospel no longer makes sense because where does sin originate from? And we've seen uh, scholars literally kicked out of seminaries for uh, you know, having a different take on this issue. And so uh, now we've loaded this thing up and now we gotta dive in. So yeah. how are we feeling? Feeling good? I'm feeling good, but I think there's one more pressing question that you didn't, okay. you didn't lay out there, which is if we were casting the movie of the story of <laughs> yeah. Cain and Abel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who would you pick to play Cain? Like who? Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna draw this thing out and Spielberg's <laughs> directing it, and you got the, you have some oh, violence, you've got all sorts version. of stuff. Yeah, I want to have some sort of big, um, you know, I want big production on this. Um, who do you got? I think I've got my person in mind. He's got like I picture Kane as kind of a gruff. Um, you know, he's he's obviously violent. Um, he as he's sent away into exile, he seemed with with the disagreement with Abel that led to the violence. He's kind of out with the animals. I have my person in mind. Who do you have for Kane? At least who you're casting Kane? I'll, I'll tell you who I don't have, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Was this movie called Year One? I don't remember why I saw yeah. it. Oh yeah. Uh, I thought it was going to be funny, but it's horrible. It's like a comic retelling of a lot of the stories of the Bible, <laughs> and it was it was David Cross and Paul Rudd as Cain and Abel. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work. Was it, Paul it, Rudd Abel? I'm guessing Paul Rudd was Abel. David Cross. Yeah, was that, Cain, that, that's better. Two that's funny better. guys, but it didn't work. I, I'm going to I'm going to go with my boy from Mad Men, John Hamm. I think he's got he's got the gruffness. For Kane, he's for too Kane. suave for that. No, no, no. He wears suits no. all the time. Give him a chance. Give him a chance, Garland. He's he's John got Hamm. the gruff. He's got the John gruffness, cannot, but he's also got, he can no. play the vulnerability and the fear as, as No, he can't pull that, from, that roll off. No. Even I when he tries for it, when he tries for it in the town, you still, in the town, you're like, I really love you in this, but you still are too suave to be wearing an FBI jacket. Like, he's a suave guy. I'll tell you who I have. I have the exact opposite. I have Tom <laughs> Hardy, but Ooh. the Revenant version. The Revenant yeah. Tom Hardy. The one you can't um, understand. Yeah, the one you can't. Well, you can't understand him in half the in movies most, he's in, most of his movies, which, which is what makes it so good. Uh, not Tom Hardy in Inception. Uh, that'd be too. Just like that's off. the dapper, the dapper version. That's I've, the I've got the Tom Bond Hardy. Version. Yeah, yeah. The Tom Hardy from The Revenant, I think, fits this role. Uh, he's he's out there. He probably deserves vengeance, um, but he's really tough, and you don't want to mess with it. That's kind of who I got. So, if you got a different one, you can send it in on uh, our uh, Instagram, and also and tell us how much you hated this section of this. Because tell us how much <laughs> how right I am. Over against <laughs> you're totally wrong. You go for John Hamm for every role. You just love John Hamm. Um, it's, anyway. it's pretty much that simple. Okay, <laughs> let's do a let's do a spectrum then. Okay, uh, uh, I'm gonna give us just like we did with our, um, you know, does, do Christians have to believe the Earth is six thousand years old? Which you haven't listened to that, you can go back and listen to that one. A little bit of a spectrum. Let's start on one end of the spectrum. Maybe the most familiar to, you know. <laughs> people growing up in maybe Christian narratives, especially in like the South, okay? okay. Um, and it's going to be following the young earth position. And so if you want to go look at resources for this, there's a website. They publish a lot of books. It's a publishing house uh, called Answers in Genesis. Uh, I'm not sure who the publisher is, uh, but they've got a big website. And you can, if you want to get young earth perspective on almost anything, they've got really smart Bible readers there, and they've got people that work in science. And um, uh, it, it's not... It, it doesn't happen to be the position that I would probably take on this, but they, they do a really good job and presenting from the young earth perspective on one end of our spectrum. So um, 
the young earth positions in on this side of the spectrum again like our last one we're going to say this is presenting more of a textbook okay more of a textbook version on the other side we're going to have like we had last time a, a mytho historical then we're going to work in the middle okay so on a, yeah. a textbook version uh and by textbook i mean the, the the science and the bible ultimately will be completely in, in line when we have all the facts okay so a young earth position is on this end of the spectrum they're going to say that the bible's presenting genuine history it's presenting history of a young earth, relatively young, maybe even 6,000 years old, and that humanity began on day six, along with the other uh, animals on the land, um, that uh, humanity was uh, a single pair, Adam and Eve, that sin came into the equation, and that Cain murders Abel. But the, the way that they're going to make sense of this, and I think for me, to, the best way to illustrate this is um, all great you know, all great kind of big war movies, like I'm thinking, you know, Saving Private Ryan or just any, any of the ones that kind of the big war movies, um, they'll give you these broad panoramic sweeps of like the D-Day beach, you know, like the beaches of Normandy. But oftentimes they'll follow one individual soldier. The, the, the best example that comes to my mind is that 1917 that just came out, which really just follows one soldier through this. Yeah. You know, there's a lot going on in that war, uh, World War One, and there's a lot going on around it, but it kind of just follows this one character and it's zoomed in we might say it's got a particular lens and everything else is kind of filtered out that's a helpful way to, i think to at least understand how a young earth on the end of our spectrum saying this is going to match match science when all the facts are are in play they're going to understand this as saying sure we're getting accounts of a piece of the family record we're getting mm -hmm. Cain and Abel, then we're going to get Seth, and we're going to get Lamech, then we're going to get the genealogy presented here. But that doesn't exclude the fact that there would be lots of other children that Adam and Eve would have had, and then they would have had children, and they would have had children, and they would have had children. And by the time, we don't have time markers in here, so um, if, the, if, if the biblical account of how long they're living is true, then they may have dozens and dozens and dozens of children, and then they may have dozens of children, and by the time we get to the story of Cain and Abel, it could be that there are tens of thousands of human beings kind of living in the world that originated with a single pair. So when Cain is banished from the garden, he's finding one of his one of these humans that are out there, and it doesn't even have to be like his sister. I mean, it, by, if you think just really quickly, humanity um, can, can uh, kind of spread out and have a pretty large population relatively quickly so you don't have to say like oh he slept with his sister that's really gross like by the time we get to this story maybe there's thousands of humans and he goes out and that's where we have you know Cain's wife for example and then we're going to have Cain going out with the other peoples we're told that are out there he's they're told not to harm him well why why not harm him well there's other humans out there and so where do they come from they came from Adam and Eve and we just did we just got the camera angle of this particular set of the family tree but there's a lot out there and and that's that that's not implausible. So, so you're you're kind of working around the idea of like it's not necessarily the case that Cain had to marry his immediate sister or something like that. But it, this view does entail that lots of humans did in that in that early period, and Correct. you would just have to say so. God, you know, that's just the way it had to be in the early period. The prohibitions against incest, rightfully and very compassionately, came about later in the biblical narrative. But for this early kind of seeding of humanity. Um, there was kind of a uh, a different way things needed to operate until until a certain point. Um, yeah. So whether it's Cain or whether it's someone else, there is that kind of element that we all kind of have to okay, kind of get your head right. around. And, and even if you're a naturalist coming with a with even a very small human population, 
uh, from a naturalistic perspective, you're still going to have something yeah. of that yeah. question of just, you know, a very, very, very small homo sapien population. We're going to, we have to kind of set aside the modern notions of this a little bit and kind of just acknowledge that, that we're going to have to leave that at the door when we answer any, from these questions from either perspective. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So I think that one is, I think that's a plausible, uh, I think it's a plausible reading of the text. I think it makes sense of the text, and, and there's a lot of Christians that, that I think could affirm that if that's uh, if that if to them that's where they feel like the uh, the scriptures are pointing them. So we feel good about that one. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sticking on this this science textbook side, um, the what we called last time the the day age or the progressive creationism, who see the days as representing geological eras. So day six would not be a single 24-hour period. Rather, it, it would be a geological era that may be even millions and millions or tens of millions of years upon which toward the end of that day, Homo sapiens, humans have arisen um, in that kind of, uh, the, the, in the, the span of that era. Um, many of these scholars, uh, many of these thinkers are going to say, okay, humans came to be maybe even through a guided evolutionary process. We don't know. The story's not really telling us. And so, Within this camp, there were some that would say, yes, okay, there's been guided evolution that, that the creator has done to create hu human beings from prior uh, kind of hominid species. And others would say, no, 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 we, we, there's no speciation, no macroevolution. Uh, Yahweh's creating species. He creates Adam and Eve out of nothing at some point in day six, which is a geological era. And they could answer the question along the same lines as the first one. Um, he, they're created out of nothing, and then you, you have many, many pieces of that family tree. If you're taking the evolutionary approach, obviously, then you're going to see, yeah, there were other hominid species, and maybe these have arisen. Uh, and so you're going to have to work with that question somewhere in there. But they're going to they're going to have a similar answer, we might say, from this more day age science textbook perspective. Um, so that's on one end of our spectrum. When all the facts come down, the Bible presents scientific data. And we'll know that one day in full. Okay, that's one end of our spectrum. Okay. Now we're to move to the other end of the spectrum is what we called last time the mytho-historical, uh, mythological view, which is um, reading the Book of Genesis against other, um, you know, ancient Near Eastern accounts of how human beings came to be and uh, the history of the world, the creation of the world. They kind of sound similar, and so this view would be, or this side of the spectrum would be, we're not. The Bible is not presenting a, a scientific account in any sort of way. It's really presenting a uh, mythological or theological. It's giving us j uh, real truths that we really do live by, um, but it's not in a scientific way. It's in an ancient Near Eastern way. And so there are many who look at Genesis and say, I'm not looking at this at all to verify the origins of human beings. This is just talking about uh, where this, this problem called sin came from. Things was like what humans are for, why there's yeah, discord amongst yeah, people. Yeah, all uh, of that yeah. is what Genesis is teaching. Um, you know, what sin does, society, uh, uh, ethnic backgrounds, language backgrounds, all of that kind of stuff, but we're not looking for any kind of account in Genesis of the origin of Homo sapiens. Now, um, that view on this far other extreme, this mytho-historical view, that view, um, there's a lot of people who really read their Bibles well, um, who really are trying to make sense of it, who uh, uh, have adopted uh, that view. And um, then there's some that would say it's a very dangerous view. Um, that to, to, to do that, this is where I think those, those other passages, specifically in the New Testament, come into play. There's some that, that hear that view and go, 
okay, to, to have Adam and Eve completely as a mythical category, not as a historical pair in any sort of way, um, that now eliminates the possibility of humanity arising from them and the concept of sin both arising from them, being passed through them to other human beings, which is the very thing Jesus has come to uh, to restore and to remove. And so uh, this is one that I think many scholars, when they start to kind of talk this way, a lot of conservative scholars at least get really, really nervous. So we're highlighting this end of the spectrum so you can see um, this is a way that I think a lot of really good Bible scholars understand Genesis, but now it's gonna force us to move somewhat to the middle and try to see, okay, if we've got the, suppose we acknowledge that Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, Genesis 1 to 11 really sounds a lot like other ancient Near Eastern stories. Mm -hmm. And suppose that we approach it not from a science textbook way, but more of a mytho-historical ancient Near Eastern genre kind of way. How can we still account for a historical Adam and Eve? So see, the, see what we're doing? Yep. If you go pure mytho-historical on one end of the spectrum, now um, you, you would be denying, we might say, the historical Adam. It's just, it's all, it's kind of all mythological. Um, that makes a lot, that, uh, that end of the spectrum makes some people as uncomfortable as people on the other end of the spectrum. Um, if you're a skeptic listening to this, um, or maybe you're coming from an atheistic background or a naturalistic background, um, let me maybe just ask you, maybe just start there. Like, if you really want to, to look into what you think Christians believe about uh, Genesis or origins of humanity, and you think that we're that all the young earthers are silly? Um, okay, fine. Don't uh, don't go to answers in Genesis. Don't start there. Maybe start by looking into the way that uh, really well-educated, knowledgeable scholars have tried to allow Genesis to speak to us in the modern world, but from an ancient or eastern perspective, and maybe just dip your toe in the water there. I think that might be. Um, at least a helpful thing uh, for you to do. And then, and then see, maybe work your way from, uh, down this spectrum from that end to the other end before you just, I guess, uh, kind of knee-jerk react to what you think Christians believe because we're working with a spectrum here. We feel good so far. Yeah, <clears throat> I have to assume between those two kind of ends of the spectrum, we've got to have some kind of mediating positions there that that uh, stake out some middle territory. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's there's really two ways. And these these two approaches, I think, um, could could work towards either end of the spectrum. I think you could take these two things that we're about to articulate, and I would bet that both of these would be new to most listeners, okay? Uh, I'm gonna give you two scholars' perspectives. One is William Lane Craig, who's a very well-known, famous, uh, conservative Christian theologian. And another one is a, uh, probably not known to almost anyone listening to this. His name's Joshua Swamidas. Uh, he is a, he's actually, his his field is um, uh, basically computation, com, I can't even say it, computer computational, is that how you say that? Uh, uh, science, looking at uh, human evolution and human um, genealogies and how they work. And so he's also a Jesus follower, he's a Christian, and so uh, he has a, a, a little bit different take than Craig. And so um, let's, let's, I'm gonna present them both, and then I'll, I'll ask you, Cameron, just can you see where you would press them on both sides of this spectrum? And so I okay. think these are, we might say they're mediating positions, and since I'm betting they're new, maybe even to everyone listening, you know, Probably push even back. to me. I think. Yeah, push back. I, well, yeah. Not probably. I'll, I'll lay my cards on the table. I've heard 
you know, read a little bit across the broad spectrum here, but I have not read Swami Das or Craig specifically. So lay it on me. Let's Yeah. And where it's where it's not clear, go ahead and push back. This is the kind of yeah. thing that these are the kinds of questions that made me really nervous as a Jesus follower and still do. I would not consider myself having landed even uh, on the answer here. And um, these have been weighty for me. And so uh, this is the kind of thing that I sit, you know, at a poolside or at the beach reading books like this. And people are like, you are the biggest are loser you we doing? know. <laughs> like, why do you have that book? And I'm like, no, this is a page turner. This is unbelievable. So Can't put it down. Um, yeah, yeah, here we go. Two, two views. First, we'll go with William Lane Craig, okay? Um, he's got a book that just came out. It's called In Quest of the Historical Adam. If you want to go look it up, you can uh, find that, I'm sure, anywhere you buy your books. Um, but here is essentially his position. He wants to both approach Genesis from our mytho-historical, okay? We're gonna, he's starting from that perspective. He thinks that Genesis fits better there, not as a modern scientific account, okay? But then he... He wants to acknowledge, he wants to find a historical Adam and Eve. In his view, humanity must arise from that pair and sin must arise from that pair. So see what he's trying to do. Because yeah. of what the rest of the Bible says, he, he needs a historical Adam and Eve. And many conservative and even not so conservative Christians agree with Craig. Like we need those things squared when we look at our anthropology, because it affects the gospel, it affects our soteriology, our salvation uh, our study. And so here's how he would do it. Craig would suggest and acknowledge that, he would acknowledge that in the record of Homo sapiens, he would just concede that it seems as if there was never a population of Homo sapiens that was a single pair, that there was always at least hundreds if not thousands of Homo sapiens. So what he does instead is he pushes back before the, uh, we might say, um, the, the arising of that group of Homo sapiens. And so before we have the cluster of Homo sapiens somewhere on our earth, you know, somewhere around 70 to 200,000 years ago, something like that, there were other hominid species. And this is where the, it, gets, it gets decently technical, and you can go Wikipedia, all this stuff, or Google it. So he is looking for a common ancestor that predates the arising of that Homo sapien pair. He puts it, a, it's called a Homo heidelbergensis, is one of these species that we found on the fossil record. Uh, it, uh, it could be Homo africanus, Homo erectus, something like that. It seems as if there was a time, at least, and this is as, as according to naturalistic scientific theory from today, okay? So it seems as if, this could change 15 years from now, 10 years from now, or tomorrow, that there were always, uh, or that there was a period where there were several different hominid species on the earth, Homo uh, neanderthalus, maybe Homo africanus and Homo sapien. Of course, only Homo sapien remains today. Um, and that there was a common ancestor all, to all of those. Craig would suggest that's Homo heidelbergensis. Now, of course, that could change. If it does, he'd probably adjust. And that that historical pair from which the, uh, the hominid species that become Homo sapiens arises, he would say that is the historical Adam and Eve. That is the pair that from all humans... Um, we originate from, and that there was some kind of, uh, some kind of, we might say, relationship that they had with the Creator uh, that then also brings in this, we might call it like the infection called sin. And so how that works out, he would acknowledge the Genesis account doesn't lay it out for us. Um, but here's a conservative theologian. I mean, he is a well-respected theologian who is starting with the uh, the mytho-historical side, but 
also wanting to, he's wanting to have a historical Adam and Eve, and the, uh, we might say the, uh, the infection of sin. And he, this is the way he is pulling all of that together with some hominid species from, he puts it around maybe, maybe 70, 150,000 years ago, something like that. So what do we have in the garden? Okay, the garden story, and this answers our question of Cain's wife. The garden is giving us a mytho-history of our distant um, common ancestor, and thus the question of Cain and Cain's wife. This is one of those homo sapien pairs that is is uh, breeding with another homo sapien pair or homo heidelbergensis pair back then. We're not looking for it to fit, you know, a scientific kind of explanation. Sure. Um, but you can see he's having his he's having all the pieces are coming together. Um, he's not sacrificing something. You may not agree with it, um, but I, he's he's. This is the kind of thing theologians are trying to do with Genesis, with science, and with our New Testament. Now, I'll pause. Interact with that. How does that land? What do you think about that? I could see by your face you didn't. You, it, that might not even be where you thought it was going. What do you think about that? <laughs> no, I, I I think I must have absorbed this view somewhere along the line. Um, I think my questions, and I'm sure Craig has an answer to this, but when you get to the pair known as Adam and Eve, God... I'm assuming he he wants to locate image of God specifically in that pair and then the fall specifically in that pair that then gets filtered out. My question is, what's the mechanism by which those two qualities, Adam and Eve as image bearers and then Adam and Eve as fallen sinners uh, after the results of Genesis 3, how do those qualities get transferred to the rest of humanity? Is that through through mating and reproduction? Or is there some more of like a... Mysterical, mysterical, mysterious spiritual sense that there mm-hmm. just somehow gets gets delegated out to the others. Do you recall? That's the kind of question that a to me. Now, if you've made it thirty minutes into this, we haven't even got to Swamidas yet. Um, that's the kind of question you're asking. That to me is so fun. Now, if you're thirty minutes in, you probably think it's fun, or you're like, I'm so ready for this to be over. What are <laughs> they've they already, doing? They've already um, clicked out. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Craig is going to differentiate between a person. And a Homo sapien, okay. he's going to he he's got a couple of things that he does, and, and I'll I'll just commend anyone to go. Uh, I'm sure he's got some podcasts. I'm sure you could just Google uh, Craig's view, and maybe get an answer to that question. But he's he's got some things that I think I don't find as satisfactory. You know, what's a person? What's not a person? Um, when do, when does the quote image of God uh, arise? When does quote conscience or something like that? Um, I. I understand what he's doing. I like what he's doing even, and I think it is a, a faithful way to try to make the biblical account fit together. Um, there's a lot of things I don't, I'm not quite satisfied with. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm gonna leave it in the hands, I guess, of our listener to, to go and maybe dive in. If you've if you got those, these kinds of questions, send them in, and we'll do, we'll do 30 minutes on just uh, when does the image of God or personhood arise from an evolutionary perspective or a non-evolutionary perspective that that would be a whole podcast in and of itself um but yeah these are the kind of fun questions at least to me uh that this conversation uh generates so anything else i think we should probably just hear the last few i know i didn't answer your question but but it's okay we're gonna get into yeah we'll get into whole you know personhood and and how he defines all that and it, it ends up being you know we'll go two hours here uh sure the uh the last view, and this was, I'll be honest, this was new to me, and it, I had heard it, um, I'd heard him interviewed and still didn't quite get it, so bought the book thinking, you know, I don't think this makes sense, and then finished the book and went, 
that may be brilliant. Okay, this is the view uh, presented by Joshua Swamidas. Now, um, this was novel to me, and it takes a little bit of, your brain will, will hurt a little bit, and this will take about <laughs> eight to 10 minutes, so just beware. We're gonna go over our, we're already over our kind of normal time we shoot for, but many of you have told us you want these to be longer anyway. Here's your gift, okay? Be careful uh, what you book, wish for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. His book is called The Genealogical Adam and Eve. Um, now, here's what Swami Das is going to suggest, that a human pair was created out of nothing by God in the recent past, okay? that it could be as recent as just a few thousand years ago. However, he can also affirm, he also will suggest um, that every single human being, by the time we might say of Paul making that statement in you know, uh, Acts 17, so somewhere in the middle of the first century, that every human being is descended from that human pair. Genealogically, now here's the key difference. Genealogically, not genetically. Um, but let me finish our, little, our, our three little things here. Then the third thing he's going to suggest is that human evolution over tens of thousands of years is compatible with those two statements. So let me say it again. The first statement, there was a human pair created out of nothing in a recent past. Um, he's going to just say that seems to be what, the, what Genesis is saying. Number two, that every human being by the time we get to Paul saying that in uh, uh, the mid-80s, uh, first century, that every human being is now descended from that pair genealogically, not genetically, and that human evolution is also compatible with that account. So what do we have to do to make that make sense? Now, here's, here's the important thing. Swamidas was... Uh, like I said, he is a, com a computational biologist, mostly interested not so much in our genetic ancestry, but he's dealing with genealogy. So your ancestry.com, okay? If you've done ancestry.com, you'll notice it puts you at the bottom and then it gives you this family tree going up and it gets really, really branched out really quickly. Swamidas would say every person on that tree is your genealogical ancestor fully. They're all 100% your genealogical ancestor. However, you are only receiving from them a very, very, very small amount of their genetic material. Mm -hmm. Genetic material, we might say, gets smaller each generation from your ancestors. And when, you, when we look at the genealogical record, it seems like we go back tens and tens of thousands of years. And Swaminathan would say, yes, of course, but the Bible is not, does not know anything about genetics. What the Bible's interested in is genealogies, how are we related? And what Swamidas would say is, it doesn't take that many years. In fact, within a few thousand years, and this is kind of mind-blowing to me to think about even like race, like races today, it doesn't take more than even a few thousand years for every single human being to go up their family tree and all be related to a single common ancestor. Mm. That in some sense, we all have the same ancestor, and that ancestor is 100% in our genealogical record. We are fully, 100% descended from them. Um, and so what Swamidas then does is he looks at the Genesis account. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, um, it seems as if in Genesis chapter 1, when we get to day 6, um, and if we, if we approach Genesis 1, let's say from a not young earth perspective, from a... Uh, from a, maybe a mytho-historical perspective, which I think Swami Das would be fine reading it that way. We have humanity, 
Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind, the Hebrew was ha-adam, mankind in our image, male and female are made in the image of God. How many? We don't know. Um, this could be, how did that work? Psalm would also say, we don't know. Could this be from guided evolution? Sure, he would say. Um, however, when we get to Genesis chapter two, it seems like we have a out-of-nothing pair created. Now, it could be that this pair is not made out of nothing, just brought in from the broader population, made in chapter one, but he's, he's fine with it even being created out of nothing. Genesis one, homo sapiens are created, they're made in the image of God, they are, uh, they are, here they are on the scene, and there's lots and lots and lots of them, maybe thousands, maybe the population never dips below a certain number, um, but a particular human pair, Genesis chapter two, is created by God or is, has a, is invested with unique relationship by God, brought into the garden space, and when they're brought into that garden space, they are given a special mandate. They are giving special access to life, and by virtue of their failure, they then leave, and instead of taking life and blessing out, they take death and cursing out, and thus, that pair interbreeds with the homo sapiens around. This is where Cain's wife question comes in. When Cain is banished, he interbreeds with other homo sapien population out, outside the garden, um, and give it a few thousand years, and Swamidas would say, every one of those homo sapiens outside of the garden can, would have been gen, uh, genealogically, we might say, related to the pair Adam and Eve as they left the garden and interbreeded within maybe even six, 10,000 years. Um, wow. It gets really, really technical because he talks about things like um, Transylvania and places that are really hard to, to get to. And so how do, how do they relate? Um, and so, but it, it, aside from that technicality, to, by the time Paul makes a statement like that in the first century AD, Swamidas thinks that it would not be erroneous to both have every single person in the world that Paul affirms to be descended from genealogically Adam and Eve, but also that human beings have a long, homo sapiens have a long, long uh, history on the earth. Now, what he's, what he's done there, he's got sin, where does sin come from? Well, it came from Adam and Eve in the garden. He's allowing a mytho-historical, and he's acknowledging a de novo or out-of-nothing creation of Adam and Eve from Genesis 2. Um, see how they're all coming together. See how the pieces mm -hmm. fit there. Um, I, I found myself reading the book and just having to sit back and go, okay, wait, wait, he's got graphs. He's got all sorts of charts. It kind of makes it make sense. Um, but as I was reading, like each chapter would be like, okay, what... That means this about that. How do I score this? And um, I haven't landed. I'm not. I don't. I'm not affirming. I think he's right. He, but his suggestion is stop having this conversation about genetics because we're in the wrong starting place to beginning to, from the beginning. The Bible doesn't know anything about genetics. The authors of the Bible mm -hmm. start with genealogies, and it's completely different conversation. You can have a young, recent common ancestor, yet an old species. And he goes, Interesting. The, the, none of this, the, the, he would say the problems all fade away. We can have a different kind of conversation, a very kind and charitable conversation if we start with genealogies. And at least in that, from that perspective, I think he's right. Now, I'm pausing again. What do you think about all of that? Yeah, well, as, again, as someone who's relatively new to all this, um, I, don't think, I don't feel I'm in a position to, suit, to, to weigh in on it with any kind of authority, but... I, I'm trying to distinguish what is Swami Das 
staking out that William Lane Craig isn't, for example? And do you think it's mm-hmm. it's primarily because the views sound very similar to me, unless I'm missing something. Although I hear Swami Das really wanting to make the case for Adam and Eve being created out of nothing, like a fresh start to mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. and how that can square with a broader sort of proto-human population that they go mm-hmm. then into. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that the main contribution and and distinction between those two? They seem pretty similar to me otherwise. Well, and and Swamidas, I think Swamidas, what makes him different, I think, is Craig is acknowledging to to get a common ancestor genetically. So he's starting Swamidas just say he's starting from the wrong point. Yeah. He's starting with genetics, and thus we've got to put Adam and Eve pre-homo sapiens, let's look for a homo hadobergensis or erectus or africanus or something like that. Um, I think that Swamidas finds unsatisfying Craig's, and I'm just speaking for both these scholars now who I've never met and never will. He is somewhat... (laughs) They can comment in the comments and correct it. Yeah, they'll never listen to this. Uh, (laughs) But I think he would be looking at Craig's view and saying, you've created... The question you asked, uh, what is a person? When does sin come in? What do we do with those other species um how, what i think swamidas finds that a little unpalatable i think mm-hmm. for him he's now he he would acknowledge, he acknowledges he was he he was raised christian he's from an indian background and uh he would say that he was raised with a young earth view then of course he had a lot of fear and doubt about that view as he started to learn and started to learn about science and for him i think you can almost see his sympathy for the six, the number six thousand, like he keeps using the number six thousand. He just and his, I think his contribution is to say we can all be descended from Adam and Eve six thousand years ago. Hey, even even a naturalist, even an, athe- an atheistic naturalist, he you, he could look at that person and say, we could all be descended from Adam and Eve six thousand years ago. In fact, we've had lots of common ancestors over the millennia of Homo sapiens. We'll have a common ancestor every couple thousand years where we all go back to. I think Swami Das has made. Um, He's making a different case. I think it's you're placing your theological categories of image of God, personhood, and sin in different buckets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you can see how that would work differently. Both create some pretty serious questions. Um, and so are the people outside the garden in Swamidas's view? Um, are they, how are they saved in a sense? Do they need to be saved in a sense? And he tackles some of that. Um, you know, we might have the same question there that we have about. Uh, chimpanzees today uh, or some other kind of hominid species today where we would look at that. We don't have any hominids today, um, but we would look at that and have a similar kind of question about animals. And so um, what I found so interesting about Swamidas's perspective would be, you know, Craig's, Craig's to me still seems so distant in the past. Mm. With Swamidas's view, I think, let's, let's assume for a moment he's right. Let's just, and, and I'm not saying that he is, I don't even sure. know. Sure. Um, the conversations that we have about race, particularly in America, I think every single one of those now, from, from a Christian perspective, they already should have a different flavor, have a different tone. But that is such a significant difference if we're saying every single one of us is related black, white, Asian, South American, European, like all of us are descended from a common ancestor that recently. To me, that just even if that narrative hit the ground in our world, what would that do even to, to just to know we are, we are not some, you know, not 200,000 years ago, but just a few thousand years ago, we have the same parent um, genealogically. 
Like, I don't know. I was just, as I was reflecting on it, I was like, would that change this conversation entirely? Mm-hmm. Um, if we could, if we had it, if we understood it that recently, um, we might say. Because when you see the bones in the, in the books and stuff and on Wikipedia, it seems just hard to kind of relate to. But this makes it so near. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was at least one of my takeaways. So, yeah, you're right. They're both looking for a mediating position. So they're, they're going to do, they're kind of doing similar things. And what we want to do here, I think, in this podcast is um, if you came into the question with, young earth only, and it kind of felt like a silly question or a scary question, or if you thought that's what Christians believed, young earth only, and you thought we're all idiots, okay? <laughs> I hope that this would enable you to see really smart, scientific, Bible-believing Christians. Uh, they kind of uh, have a, 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 a di- some different perspectives on this, and um, you might find them both intellectually and existentially satisfying, actually. And so dive in, uh, take a look at it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Garland. This is a really cool, I don't know if I would say a brief overview. It's certainly, (laughs) it's brief in the uh, how much we're able to get into relative to how much is there. But um, yeah, thank you all for listening. Garland, thanks for opening up a complicated but super fascinating and important, I mean it, uh, conversation for us, man. 